Section nine of Stories from the Detectives Album by Wife Wonder, also known as Mary Fortune. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. The Gutter Flag A Tale of the Green Hills. So many visitors to our exhibition will read the Australian Journal during their stay in the city, which is the result mainly of those wonderful goldfields from which we unearthed our treasures that i think i had better make this a tale of the old digging days when i was a mounted policeman and not a detective coming from distant lands where they will have doubtless read strange and but little understood narratives of our great rushes where thousands of miners dug up gold in lumps like potatoes they will see the trophy representing our finds in the exhibition building they have passed so many thousands of miles of dangerous ocean to see and wonder how and under what circumstances we gathered it in let me tell them a story of the green hills rush it was saturday evening one night in november so far back as eighteen fifty six and being stationed in the green hills rush i had just ridden in from duty at the buninyong station the long double line of tents that formed the so-called street gleamed white in the low sunbeams and every one of the hundreds of flags that decorated or identified almost every tent-place of business were flicking and fluttering in the welcome sea-breeze which had just reached us with its usual punctuality from hobson's bay in many a dancing saloon the music was already in full swing though the dancing had not yet commenced and every store and restaurant had many diggers within their canvas walls enjoying the relaxation of sunday afternoon and spending their gold Alan's store was the nearest to the Buninyong end of the street, and a place I always dropped into when I had an opportunity. Alan himself was a shrewd Yankee who minded his own business and minded it well. He heard all people had to say, and said little himself, while he looked sharply after the almighty dollar. Nevertheless, Alan's was one of the best places on the green hills for hearing all the news of the diggings, for Alan could talk when he knew who he was talking to drink was sold everywhere in those days in spite of law and i should not care to say how many tips the traps received to hold their tongues and shut their eyes concerning the matter i know i never paid a shilling for a nobbler while i was on the goldfields and being especially partial to claret with two or three big lumps of sugar not the kind they are so fond of in parliament you know in each tumbler i got as much as i chose to drink of it for nothing several men were standing at the counter drinking as i entered and as was my habit passed through to alan's little private compartment behind among these men the noisiest and loudest was known as wild sam a drunken vicious chap with fair hair and red whiskers who was one of four mates working a deep shaft just at the back of our camp he was blowing about their vicinity to the gutter and prophesying that their claim would be one of the richest on the green hills but i've blank bad mates he added with an oath that cursed young burke is on my shift and he makes a regular practice of leaving the windlass for an hour at a time every night nearly while i'm kicking my heels below for want of the bucket that's a rum sort of go returned one of the listeners what does he go for drink drink cried wild sam with a loud haw-haw laugh not it he goes to meet that girl of clavers that all the diggers are crazy after ah she's a beauty of a sly one that mates "'Twas me yesterday, and now tis Burke. Lord knows who it'll be next. Dan here, perhaps.' And a chorus of coarse laughter greeted this witticism, for the Dan alluded to was a hunchback and a most repulsive-looking object. "'I had the curiosity to climb up the shaft last night to see what my lad was after, and there, not a stone's throw from the poppet-heads, I sees my hearty Burke a-kissin' and huggin' that modest Miss Dorothy Clovers at eleven o'clock at night among the shafts.' A sudden silence that seemed to have fallen on the men around him, as quick glances were turned toward the door, made Sam turn and look also. A handsomely built man of about thirty, with dark hair and beard, and large grey, heavy-lashed eyes, was standing in the wide doorway. He was dressed in the usual digger's costume of the day, moleskin trousers, light Crimean shirt, and wide-awake felt hat. His fine eyes were flashing with anger, and his fists clenched as he strode toward Sam. "'Who is that you are letting your vile, ignorant, and lying tongue loose upon, Sam Markley?' he asked in tones, his fierce passion rendered tremulous. "'No, oh, you needn't take the young lady's part, mate,' was the sarcastic reply. "'You're an old bloke of hers. 
that you may believe me she's thrown you over as well as me a girl that meets chaps in the middle of the night but sam did not conclude his sentence a strong blow went out straight from dave drew's shoulder and sam fell to the ground literally as though he had been shot the men drew back and not one showed a symptom of interfering sam was no favourite among the diggers and dave drew was if you want any more you cowardly defamer of women get up and get it cried drew and wild sam struggled to his feet the blood was pouring from his nose and one eye was already swollen and black i'll be revenged for this dave drew if i should hang for it he exclaimed as he dashed the blood from his face with one hand and threatened his mate with the other i dare say you will if i let you retorted drew and now let me hear of your saying one word such as i heard you say a minute ago about dorothy clavers and i'll hammer you out of all semblance of humanity and dave went out into the street with all the blood in his body at fever heat with rage and annoyance he went up the street at a sharp pace heedless of the noise around him and taking but little notice of the many hearty coo-ees shouted to him from the doors of business places he passed every one liked dave and if he had chosen he could have been intoxicated every hour of the twenty-four at his friend's expense reaching at last claver's store which had its name on a great strip of calico stretched across the end of the tent in big black letters on white ground he turned into the store and advanced to the counter dorothy claver's was seated behind it a fair pretty-faced innocent-looking girl of eighteen she was slightly bent to one side from weakness of the spine in childhood but the deformity if deformity it could be called only rendered her more interesting in the eyes of those who loved her she was sewing a great big g of turkey cotton on a square of strong white calico and as dave entered she blushed consciously and rose see what i'm doing dave she said in a soft low voice i'm making a new gutter flag the old one is in pieces and i want your claim to look gay we haven't struck gold yet dorothy he replied as he helped himself to something from a bottle on the counter for he was shaking like a leaf and we never may oh yes i'm sure you will dave rollo thinks you're not far off the bottom now as she spoke the fair face grew perfectly scarlet the young man looked sadly at the downcast blushing face and then he spoke it was to speak about burke that i came in dorothy and i'm lucky to have found you alone dorothy you know how unselfishly i have loved you and that it can be no envy of my more fortunate mate which induces me to warn you of exhibiting anything like secrecy in meeting him i heard statements made to-day of you and him that made me mad for a moment it is terrible to hear the name of a girl you love in the mouths and ears of coarse men i hope to god it was not true but if you have dear dorothy in your innocence and love been imprudent enough to meet burke in the lead never do it again as you value your own good name and the peace of mind of a father and mother who love you dearly he turned on his heel as he spoke generously wishing to spare the poor girl a witness of her humiliation and dorothy was left alone she crept into a corner behind the counter where some barrels upon it hid her partially and she threw the gutter flag over her face it was well that poor dave did not hear her heavy bitter sobs for they would have broken his good heart she knew that she was safe from the watchful eye of maternal love for her mother had driven herself into balignong and her father was putting up a little building at the back where she could hear his hammer going steadily as she wept she was not however permitted to indulge her tears long in peace a hateful voice called out miss dorothy lovely lady dorothy the poor girl snatched the gutter flag from her head and there bending over the counter and looking around the barrels was the swollen and bruised face of wild sam she almost shrieked so hideously ugly did he appear with the unwashed blood drying on his countenance and red beard and the black swollen bruises around his eyes drawing back as far as she could dorothy stared at sam in undisguised terror and disgust and the brute's red eyes flashed viciously as he saw the movement and expression i am a handsome chap now eh miss dorothy but not half such a good-looking fellow as my mate rollo burke eh wouldn't come down to the claim to meet me in the middle of the night eh well hearken my dear the day'll come when you'll be glad to meet me ay and do anything i ask you to do you hear i got this pretty face from your old bloke dave drew all on your account and i'll be revenged on the lot of you if i hang for it you are a bad man 
cried Dorothy with desperation, as she threw the gutter flag over her head to hide Sam's horrible face from her eyes. You're a wretch. Go away or I'll call my father. You'll call him one day when he won't hear, my dear. Is that the new flag you're making for our shaft? What a nice face cloth it would make for a dead girl. Dorothy snatched the gutter flag from her head in horror at the awful insinuation of Wild Sam, but when she ventured to peep around the barrels, the shop was empty. Sam had disappeared. The terrified girl looked at the bit of white cloth with its red letter as it lay on her lap, and she shuddered as though a cold wind had passed over her. To her nervously disordered vision, the big G got blurred into a red patch like a bloodstain, or stared at her as the initial of the word grave. Hurriedly, folding the flag up, she placed it on one of the shelves in the shop, and hurried out to call her father, feeling really afraid to stop there any longer. But she did not tell him one word of Wild Sam or his threats. As Dave Drew left the store with a sad heart, for he had loved this gentle girl dearly, and the knowledge that her name was in the mouths of vile and heartless men grieved him sorely. A sturdy old man with a little rough terrier trotting after him was coming up the street. He was an odd-looking old chap, tall and gaunt, with keen eyes under shaggy grey brows, and a short grizzled beard on his chin, and around his firm, pursed-up, obstinate-looking mouth. He had on moleskins of a peculiar brown, dyed in wattle-bark by his own hands. A funny-looking jumper gathered around his waist with a drawing-string, and hanging in bags all around his spare figure, while to crown all he had a great, broad-crowned cap, with a band and a no-peak, made of white tent canvas by his own fingers, drawn tightly down over his forehead, until not a hair of his grey head was visible, save at the back where a few long, straggling locks escaped and hung down over the collar of the jumper. He carried a pick over his shoulder with a shovel suspended from it over his back, and a black billy in the other hand. "'Well, Dave,' he said, as the other joined him and walked by his side, "'you're at Claver's again. Why, man, I thought you had more sense than to go there like a silly moth and get the remains of your wings singed again?' "'I had to go, Daddy,' the young man said in reply. "'I could not help it. But you need not fear for me, my good old friend. I shall not tempt the fire again.' I know it would be useless. How goes the sinking on the green hill? I think I'll bottom tomorrow, the old man replied in a mysterious whisper. I'm down on the pipe clay, and see, what is that? They had left the street, and were going up the hill towards a white tent about fifty yards from the working deep shafts, when old Daddy Lawson swung pick and shovel from his shoulder, and unhooked the pick from the handle of the shovel. What does it look like, Dave, my boy? What does that look like? That was the point of the pick, that on one of its smooth sides gleamed as though it had been gilded. Dave took the tool in his hand and examined it closely. I should say it's been through a nugget, Daddy. Aye, so should I, lad. But how big is it? I'd have bottomed before I came home, but didn't want to leave it bare, and the sun is low. But, oh, man, how I wished was tomorrow! I hope it'll be a good claim for your sake, Dave, my boy. That shaft of yours has been a hard pull on us. On you, Daddy. I had nothing to lose, but I wouldn't take a penny more from you if you got a hundred weight. If this claim of ours below here doesn't strike the gutter, I'll be off with my swag back to Chinaman's flat. No, you won't, my boy. We're mates, you and I. We agreed on all that long ago. I was to find the working expenses, and half of your share is mine when you strike the gutter and half of my gold in the shallow sinking yonder is Dave Drew's. But Dave Drew has not found any expenses for your shallow sinking, Daddy. What has he done to earn half of your share? They had reached the tent, and old Daddy tossed his pick and shovel on the ground as he laid his hand on the firm shoulder of the young miner. You've made an old man happier than he's been for twenty years, my son. You've given him an interest in a life that was a burden to him, and you must not forsake him now and leave him to his loneliness again. No, no, Trip and me couldn't do without Dave, could we, Trip? And the little dog jumped and barked around them both as if she really understood that the question was one involving both their interests. Dave pressed the old man's hand hard, but he could not speak. In spite of his fine form and stout muscles, he had a heart as soft as a good woman's. He bent to caress the little dog to hide a suspicious glistening of his fine dark eyes. He did not feel a choking in his throat when he felled Wild Sam to the ground for speaking evil of the girl 
who had refused the wealth of his faithful love and arm strong to shelter and protect but he was incapable of speech through strong emotion now when he heard in the affectionate tremulous tones of an old man that he loved him and trip too why with an old friendless man to comfort and a faithful dog to caress he could not be altogether unhappy even though a simple pretty girl had refused him the treasure of her heart he loved his young mate rollo burke too and in the greatness of his unselfish soul believed him far more suitable to pretty dorothy than a great rough fellow such as he was would have been if she was only happy that was all he asked if she was only always happy that was all he asked he was thinking so as he raked together the stalwart embers against the big fallen tree where they had prepared their morning meal while the active old daddy brought a fresh billy of water up from the river lee the black fellow's yarrawee and slung it over the fire when the supper was ready they sat on the grass and ate it eating their chops off tin plates and drinking their tea out of tin pannikins while the murmur and music and shouts and laughter of a saturday night on the diggings came up the hill to their ears only subdued by distance and the rustling of branches above them as the sea breeze freshened on the quiet hillside and dave told his old friend all about his encounter with sam and its cause and daddy shook his head as he listened here's a man i never liked and never could trust that wild sam the old man said but he's your mate and it's bad quarrelling among mates that you can't get rid of still i don't see that you could help it i think a man must be a cur indeed that will stand by and listen to any woman's character being taken away by a cowardly liar but if it's true lad if it's true i hope to heaven it is not and i have warned poor dorothy i think daddy that if you were to speak to burke he might take it better than from me he is a soft innocent young chap but not over clever i'm sure he loves dorothy as well as it is in his nature to love and would not willingly harm a hair on her head will you speak to him to-morrow daddy of course you need not say i laid you on as he might not take it so well ay ay i see but why not to-night the sooner a good thing is done the better rollo and his two or three more are going out possuming to-night daddy you'd better leave it till to-morrow you'll see him at his tent we change shifts to-night i go on at eight so i must be off well lad i'll have a bit of supper ready for you when you come home at twelve so be sure and come straight from the shaft oh you may be sure of that daddy and dave meant what he said but for all that he did not come straight home from the shaft about an hour later when the full moon was showing her big round face over the hill opposite claver's store rollo burke with three or four other young men one of whom was wild sam entered the store claver's was busy it being saturday night and both mrs claver's and dorothy were assisting behind the counter the young miner on whom poor dorothy had bestowed her affections was a handsome fair youth of twenty-one with blue soft eyes and the lithe supple figure of a young antinous he carried a gun as did indeed all of his companions and exchanged a loving glance with blushing dorothy at the moment of entrance wild sam hung a little back at first but on being addressed by clavers went boldly forward to the counter behind which the girl had wept in the evening and his first glance after it had swept sinisterly over dorothy rested on the gutter flag she had laid on one of the shelves after his horrible association of it with a face-cloth for the dead hello are you all bound for a possum raid asked clavers why sam marksley what's the matter with your face sam laughed harshly as he went forward to the counter oh a few love marks i got on account of a certain young lady and he glanced quickly from the gutter flag to dorothy's now pale face again clavers had heard nothing of the scene between dave and sam at allen's of course he was not likely to hear as his own daughter was so concerned in it but he knew sam's temper and seeing that he did not wish to be questioned attended to his orders from other members of the party to be supplied with ammunition for their expected sport the young miner rollo burke had heard nothing of it either for the same reason doubtless and sam had accounted to him for his bruised face by stating that he had stumbled and fallen in getting down from the elevated mouth of their own shaft so paying little attention to what was going on around him rollo affecting to require a pocket-handkerchief very badly selected one from dorothy 
and whispered to her all the time. "'We'll be home early, Dorothy. You'll come out at eleven and give me three sweet words, won't you, darling?' "'Oh, Rollo, I can't. We've been seen, and I've done very wrong. Oh, no, you mustn't never expect me again.' "'Never expect you again? What do you mean, dearest Dorothy? Surely, surely you're not going to throw me over now. I can't live without you, and I won't. If you give me up, I'll die.' You must let me see you alone, darling, or I will not live to endure it. He spoke vehemently, and the young, fair, handsome face flushed. Rollo's soft blue eyes were half full of tears as Dorothy met them for an instant and then drooped. No wonder Dave had called him soft and not over clever. A needless duplication, by the way, for clever people are rarely soft. I am not going to give you up, Rollo. You know I love you and always shall, she whispered softly. "'But I cannot meet you secretly again. "'Have you not heard?' "'And then remembering that Wild Sam was present, "'and what a quarrel the truth might engender, "'she stopped suddenly. "'Remember what? "'I remember nothing but that I must speak to you some time "'or I shall die.' "'You must speak to father,' she said softly. "'You know I would have done so long ago, Dorothy, darling, "'if we had bottomed on the gutter, "'but we are certain to do so, sooner or later, "'and then I may have a chance with your father.' now i have none meanwhile you must try and be content with seeing me in the store dear rollo see here is mother coming take your handkerchief and go but for my sake rollo take care of yourself to-night i am afraid of those guns god bless my love i shall take care dear my life is valuable to me now that i am assured of your love while this low-toned conversation was being carried on over a box of handkerchiefs wild sam was not idle Half seated on the counter over which he had terrified poor Dorothy, he held his gun between his knees with one hand, while with the other he affected to toy with the yardstick which Mrs. Clavers had left lying upon the counter before the drapery shelves. He had paused to watch Dorothy after he left the store earlier in the day, and recognised the horror with which she had folded and put away the gutter flag, that flag for a purpose of his own he was bent upon gaining possession of. Watching his opportunity, he deftly inserted the end of the yardstick into the folds of the flag, and with a quick movement twitched it to the counter. In another moment it was hidden in his breast, and his immediate purpose was accomplished just as the party, noisily gay and full of spirit, left the store and emerged into the broad moonlit street, outlined as it seemed to be with huge calico lanterns, through the unlined sides of which the forms of billiard-players or gyrating dancers were plainly visible. I myself was standing at the door of the police camp as the party came chatting and laughing down the moonlit street. They saw me and stopped. "'Come on for an hour's possuming, Sinclair,' one of the chaps said. "'I know Smith's in the camp, so you have no excuse.' "'Yes, Smith is here, and I'll go. But I mustn't be long, as I have to go up the street on duty,' I replied." "'Oh, we're all going up the street,' another said laughingly. "'We'll give the possums an hour or so only. "'I'm bound for a dance at Max tonight.' "'And I, and I,' was the cry. "'And I,' said Rollo Burke, also, "'for Max was opposite Clavers, you see, "'and if he could not speak to Dorothy, "'he could at least watch her passing to and fro in the store, "'and if luck favoured him, "'perhaps get a chance to exchange a word with her "'during her parents' temporary absence.' The green hill to which we were bound lay almost close to the diggings, and rested, soft-looking and beautiful in the night's full flood of moonlight. The rest of a perfect stillness and peace seemed to lay with the moonlight upon its rich green sward, and the grand old trees that stood in hushed repose around its rounded top. What a contrast between the calm of nature on the green hill slope we ascended, and the light and noise of the goldfield below! In the lead, many of the sailor miners sang in unison as they worked the windlass, while in occasional pauses could be heard, repeated from a dozen shafts, the warning, "'Look out below!' as the bucket descended. The crash of brass bands, mingled with loud shouts of laughter, came up to us, as one or two of us paused about halfway up the smooth ascent to get breath and look at the strange scene presented by the tortuous and strangely illuminated street below. "'I should like to have a little cottage up here,' said Rollo softly. "'How pleasant it is, and how peaceful!' The poor lad was, doubtless, thinking of a little home with pretty Dorothy for its love-light. 
"'You may easily get that if you bottom on the gutter, as everyone thinks you will,' I returned. And I have often remembered since how almost unearthly beautiful the youth's really handsome face looked with the pale moonlight on it, and a smile of hope and happiness wreathing his perfectly curved lips. It was a grand night for possum-shooting, and they were plentiful among the old trees on the green hill. Soon our little party were scattered, while each man searched with a keen eye, the giant branches between him and the moonlit sky, while shot after shot began to crack and echo in the clear air under the old trees. When I had at last dropped my own possum, which had, even in death, clung to its branch with its curled tail, and refused to be dislodged until I shattered the said tail with the contents of another barrel, I saw Rollo Burke, at but a little distance holding his gun by the barrel while its butt rested on the grass as he gazed up sideways toward a branch far above his head. Sam Marksley was standing near him, apparently watching the same game. All this I saw in a moment, ere I stooped to lift my dead possum, and as I stooped, a shot and a cry that seemed to be simultaneous raised me again instantly to see Rollo lying upon the grass with Sam Marksley bending over him. "'Oh, my God! He's shot!' the latter shouted. "'Sinclair! Harry! Tom! Come, for the love of heaven! Rollo's shot!' Being the nearest, I was first by the side of the wounded youth. He was lying almost on his face with a discharged gun just dropped from his outstretched left hand. From under his left ear a rapid red stream was pouring. And as we turned him over and raised his head and shoulders to Wild Sam's knee, I tore up our handkerchiefs and tried, but vainly, to staunch the flowing stream of life. Never shall I forget the hopeless and despairing look the poor lad turned on me, or the terrible gasping whisper, "'Oh, God, have mercy on me! I am dying, and I so young!' "'Keep up your heart, Rollo,' I said as cheerfully as I could, while my heart was sore. "'Harry's gone for the doctor, and he'll set you all right. See, the blood has almost stopped.' "'Take a sip out of Sam's flask now, and you'll be better.' He drank the brandy and seemed for a few moments revived, while still the blood oozed silently from the ghastly wound. "'How did it happen, Rollo?' I asked, when I saw him better able to reply. "'I don't know. I was looking up for a possum, and had the butt of the gun on the ground. It must have caught in something, for it seemed to give a jerk in my hand.' "'It must have caught in the bushes. It was near the log there.' Wild Sam observed, as he knelt with his arm under Rollo's shoulders, and the youth's head pressed against his treacherous breast, where was hidden the gutter-flag he had stolen from bereaved Dorothy Clavers. "'It wasn't near the log,' I interrupted. "'I was looking at you both the instant before the gun went off. You were standing within a couple of feet of Rollo's gun, Sam.' Even in the moonlight I noticed the deadly pallor of the man's cruel-looking countenance, and a strange suspicion shot into my mind. He was momentarily as white as the dying lad, but as I compared the two faces, I saw that the fair boy's eyes were looking their last on earth. "'I am dying, Sinclair,' he whispered. "'Bury me where we—we we stood to-night. I hope for a home there. Let me find one, the last.' And then, with a murmur of, "'Dorothy, Dorothy, my grave!' which was choked by that awful rattle of death, the fair head slipped from the treacherous breast, and Dorothy's young lover was dead. It was a sad procession that went down the peaceful hillside we had mounted in such spirits, and so full of fresh young life. Having improvised a hurried stretcher of branches, we laid poor Rollo on it, and softly and silently carried him down to the police camp. We laid him decently in the forage store, to await the necessary inquest, and covered the sad white young face up with a blanket. Then I locked the door and ran up to Claver's store. I knew what a shock this sad event would be to poor Dorothy, and how quickly bad news flies. Still, as we had met Harry and the doctor on their way to the hill, and I had warned them all to silence, I hoped to be in time, and I was. It so happened that there was not a customer in Claver's, and Claver's himself was the sole occupant of his place of business, and he stood in the doorway smoking. He was a sensible North of Ireland man, and quiet in his speech and ways. Clavers, I began at once, go in at once and give strict orders that your daughter does not come into the store this night, or speak to anyone except yourself or her mother. 
the man took his pipe out of his mouth and stared at me in utter astonishment it is entirely for her own good i tell you to do this clavis so go and do it as every moment is of importance you can make an excuse by saying that i have warned you of a lot of drunken men knocking about when you come back i will tell you the truth without another word he turned inside but in a few moments returned now what does this mean sinclair he asked as he placed himself behind the counter young rollo burke is dead i replied his own gun went off and shot him it is to prevent dorothy from hearing this suddenly that i wanted you to keep her inside young burke dead why he was in the store not over an hour ago but dorothy what has that to do with dorothy i am aware that it has been hidden from you and the mother but it is pretty well known that rollo and dorothy were deeply attached to each other i believe the poor fellow was only waiting to strike gold before venturing to ask you for your pretty girl and her name was almost the last word his dying lips uttered i never dreamed of this clavis said after a pause her mother has noticed a great change in the child lately but i never dreamed it was that poor child it will fall very hard on her hide it as long as you can send her away till after the funeral if you can her mother shall take her to ballarat early to-morrow clovers said and i bade him good-night as i hastened back to camp as i passed the short distance i observed in the clear moonlight the figures of many men hurriedly making their way towards and down the lead and of course stepped as in duty bound to see what was the cause of the unusual commotion as I turned down the lead in the direction they were all going, and which was not far from the police camp, I noticed that the gutter flag had disappeared from the German's claim, as it was called. And I guessed the rest. Some other shaft in the workings had found the gutter farther on. Whose claim was it? The question was soon answered by a cheer from a hundred voices from Dave Drew's claim. I soon reached it, and the first object I let my eyes rest upon was handsome Dave himself, standing on the summit of the thrown-up stuff and in the act of planting the significant gutter-flag staff in the stuff near the windlass and at a little distance from him was the mate who worked with him an honest decent irishman named black holding out for the inspection of the excited diggers his hat in which were several fine nuggets with the soil still clinging to their dingy crevices right on the gutter by jove cried one a regular jeweller's shop dave drew shouted another i congratulate you and myself too for we're next on the line drew smiled pleasantly and his bronzed face looked handsome as a picture yet i fancied a shade of sadness in it as still holding the flagstaff his eyes turned momentarily toward claver's store thank you tom he replied and thank you all mates i hope sincerely you may all be as lucky aren't you going to shout drew cried out a distant voice in the crowd it will be better to leave the shouting until all our mates are here dave said but you may be sure we won't forget to christen the last shaft down on the gutter there's only black and i here now wild sam is at allen's as drunk as a pig one man volunteered i never saw a man drink as he did to-night he poured the liquor down his throat as if it was water and was lying on the floor before you had time to cross yourself young has gone up the hill possuming another said they passed my place a couple of hours ago as the men gradually dispersed i climbed up to dave drew's side and he recognized me with one of his pleasant smiles have you come to see the gutter flag shifted too sinclair it's rather tattered he added as he looked at the big faded g writhing like a snake in the flickering night breeze but i dare say rollo will have the new one dorothy is making up before morning i congratulate you sincerely drew i began but we must all take the bad with the good i bring you bad news dave bad news heaven and earth there's nothing the matter with old daddy no no or or the girl and his face grew white and his lips trembled no my dear fellow it is poor rollo he is lying dead at the camp dead rollo dead the young man seemed to stagger as he caught at the windlass for support the great generous heart was sore for the sorrow of the girl he had loved so dearly he listened while i related the sad events of the night on the green hill and then after leaving black to watch the claim he went down with me to see the body of his dead mate once at the camp i lit the stable lantern and unlocked the door of the forage store how deeply affected 
generous and affectionate Dave was, could easily be seen in his noble-looking countenance as he stooped and lifted the rug from the dead lad's white face, so calm and still and immovable, yet with an expression of despairing sorrow around the pale, delicately curved lips. And so piteous was the sight of the young form lifeless, just when life was offering him her treasures of love and gold, that I did not wonder when poor Dave sat down on the truss of hay, and, burying his face in his hands, burst into a passion of tears, which he in vain tried to check. "'I loved him, and she loved him,' he sobbed. "'I would have fought for him, living, and man though I am, I must weep for him dead. Oh, my boy, Rollo, God has been cruel in this!' I went out softly, and left him alone with his grief and the dead, and only returned when I had attended to my horse. Dave was by that time quite calm, but he sat close to the white young face, and one hand rested on the fair glossy waves of the dead lad's hair. "'I cannot leave him, Sinclair,' he said. "'It would seem heartless to leave him here in the dark alone. I will stay with him till daybreaks, at all events.' And so I stayed with him, and with the light of the lantern set on a corn-bin, flickering on the still cold face, and occasional breezes through the open crevices of the wooden store, lifting the soft waves of hair that lay on the white brow. I told Dave more particularly of the events of the evening, and how I had arranged for Dorothy to be taken away on the morrow. "'For he's sure to be buried after the magisterial inquiry,' I said, and the poor girl could see the funeral going up the hill. It would kill her. "'I think it would, Sinclair. It was kind and thoughtful of you. May God bless you for it he added fervently, and then we passed hours in a silence almost unbroken by a word. I confess that leaning against the hay I slept often, but Drew never closed an eye. With elbows on knees and his eyes bent on the ground, or wandering to his dead mate's face, he humoured his own sad thoughts. Were they most with the dead boy or with the living girl? Was poor, old, waiting and faithful daddy forgotten? Not quite, but remembering his good old friend's anxiety and disappointment, it seemed as nothing in comparison with the grief death had laid close to the young heart of Dorothy Clavers. Still, when day broke and the east began to flush, Dave softly kissed the white forehead and reverently covered up the solemn face ere he went quickly to console the old man by the sight of his truant face. Old Daddy had pottered about, getting supper and smoking, and talking to his little dog, Trip about the hole he hoped to bottom on Monday, and which he dreaded might be discovered before then, for Daddy had been prospecting so cautiously that each morning he started from his tent in an almost opposite direction, and only gained the claim he was sinking on after a long detour, which he, of course, made for the purpose of throwing any curious watchers off the scent. From where he sat and smoked in the moonlight, he could see almost the very spot, which was, indeed, not far from where Rollo Burke's young life was even then flowing out among the shrinking blades of the horrified grass on the green hill, and talked of his hopes and fears to Trip, who sat on his haunches before the old man, listening eagerly, with one ear erect, and with his honest eyes fixed on his old master's face. "'I don't think anyone'll notice our hole, Trip, for them branches I put over it look quite natural.' and they can't fall in on a can of the logs. But for all that, I wish it was Monday, Trip. And Trip said, Woof! with such energy that he shook himself off his haunches and on to his four feet. Aye, I know you wish the same, little boy. There's fine hunting in the old logs up on their hill, eh, Trip? And Trip said, Woof! Woof! double this time, and began to run around after his own shaggy tail, until he tumbled over like a drunken man. I wish you wouldn't do that, Trip. It's not good for you. I knew a dog once who used to start running after his own tail every time the stampers of his master's crushing machine set to work. And one day, when he got dizzy, as you are now, he started down the lead like a mad dog and was never seen again until we found him dead near a shaft. Guess it was a fit. That was poor Lamont's dog, the old man soliloquised to himself, and not to Trip this time. I wonder what has become of poor Lamont and old daddy puffed his pipe silently and became absorbed in memories of the past so long that on looking up to the now high moon he saw it must be long past midnight and that all the shafts were silent dave's got in tow with some friends he said and i'm glad of it 
I'd like to see the lad quite over his disappointment about pretty Dorothy. Come, Trip, we'll turn in. Dave'll tell us all about it when he comes home. The old man slept soundly. He did not wake until the bright risen sun was shining straight in the low tent opening. It took him but little time to don his eccentric attire, and when he emerged into the open air he was surprised to see Dave sitting on the log against which the fire was burning, with the breakfast billy hung over it. "'Why, Dave, my lad, you are back then. When I saw your bunk had not been slept in, I thought you had not yet returned. You did keep it up last night.' and then quickly observing the depressed attitude of his favourite and the grievously sad expression of the handsome face a swift train of thought carried the old miner's eyes down towards their shaft and he saw the gutter flag floating proudly over it you've bottomed on the gutter dave hurrah why didn't you waken me up and tell me drew lifted his eyes and looked down towards the claim yes they had bottomed on the gutter and he had almost forgotten it what did dead rollo care for gold of what use was it to him? It would neither buy a young girl's heart or soften the pain of the blow which had fallen upon it in the loss of her young love. "'What is the matter, my son?' old Daddy asked anxiously, as he fully recognised the change in his young mate. "'What can be the matter while young Gutterflag is flying? You haven't hurt yourself in the shaft, Dave, lad?' "'No, Daddy, no. But something very, very sad has happened, and I feel as if I couldn't get over it. You won't have to speak to poor Rollo Burke, Daddy. He is lying dead at the police camp. Dead? Young Burke dead? Yes, Daddy. I sat by his corpse all night. He shot himself accidentally when possuming on the hill last night, and Dave went on relating the incidents of the night to the grieved old digger. They talked long over their breakfast of chops and coffee and good camp oven bread, at the making of which the old man was an adept and Dave felt better when he had shared his trouble with his friend. There was something soothing in the Sunday morning's quiet too, and in the fresh morning air of the hillside. As, here and there, among the thickly clustered tents, near the lead, threads of blue smoke arose and swelled into columns as the big out-of-doors fires caught fresh fuel and boiled many billies, diggers' forms began to move about in beltless trousers and open-breasted shirts and tumbled hair, just as they had turned out of their bunks. But there was not a sound of human vicinity came up to the mates on the hillside, until all at once a low, regular tap-tap-tap, tap-tap-tap, with short intervals, also as regular as the peck of the woodpecker, floated on the quiet air to the sharp ears of old Daddy. Dave heard it too, and with a sudden movement drew the pipe from his lips and laid it on the grass beside him. A look of fresh pain came into his face also, but he said nothing, until, when the old man had listened for some moments, he asked, "'What can that hammering be, lad? Surely Cross would not work at the new store to-day.' "'It is Cross, Daddy. He's covering poor Rollo's coffin. I sent Black to order it last night, and I called there before I came up home. Cross has been working at it most of the night.' "'Ah, poor lad! Poor lad!' But surely God knows best, Dave. Perhaps he has taken him away from many troubles and much sin. He knows it all best. But see, there is Mrs. Clavers and the girl making a start for Ballarat. Little she thinks that she is listening to the hammer on her sweetheart's coffin, or that his dead body is lying in one of the sheds she passes. Ay, little indeed. Poor Dorothy, poor Dorothy though she wondered much at her mother's sudden decision about inspecting some goods at the wholesale house they dealt with in Ballarat, was not at all averse to the trip. Few pretty girls are averse to putting on their most becoming garments and going on a shopping expedition. But when the spring cart turned into the street with Mrs. Claver's driving, and Dorothy got a look, always her first, toward young Burke's claim, her pretty innocent face flushed up rosy red as she gasped in strong excitement. "'Oh, mother, darling, do see! The gutter-flag, the old one, is flying on Rollo's claim. Oh, how glad I am! They have bottomed on the gutter!' Mrs. Clavers grew pale to her lips. Put it off as long as she liked. How could the sad truth be broken to this bereaved child? That was the question the poor mother was propounding to herself while Dorothy rattled on. "'I'm so sorry I didn't finish the new flag yesterday evening. It was so foolish of me!' 
i didn't tell you mother but something wild sam said to me about it made me fold it and put it up on the store shelf i must finish it when we come back tonight for that old raggy thing is not fit to be seen why cross the carpenter is working on sunday oh i guess dave said he would get cross to make a new flagstaff for my flag that's it and the flag not ready after all mother i'd rather go back and finish the flag for rollo will be disappointed we must all be prepared for disappointment in this world dorothy my dear the mother said in a choking voice for she knew that as our girl was speaking the beloved name they were passing our police camp under one of the humblest roofs of which lay the dead young rollo who would feel disappointment no more we must expect it my child this is a world of woe and of death no dorothy i cannot let you stop at home to-day are you not well mother you are speaking strangely dorothy asked anxiously as she looked into mrs claver's face i am low-spirited dear i am thinking of the troubles of life and how my dorothy will meet them i began mine early when i was about your age i was going to be married to a cousin i dearly loved and he died since then i have lost father and mother and four fine sons all by that pitiless death dear if if i loved any one and he should die i should die too dorothy said stoutly and quite ignoring the father and mother and four fine boys her mother had wept no child surely no you would try to live for your father's sake and mine and dorothy kissed her mother and no more applied the possibility of death to her own case than if her mother had never uttered the word two magistrates from ballarat reached our police camp early in the forenoon of that notable sunday and an inquiry was held over the corpse of poor young burke which resulted in his death being described as resulting from an accidental discharge of his own gun it was observed that the red silk fringed sash which the lad in common with many dandy diggers usually wore drooped its fringe so low that it might possibly have become entangled with the trigger of the gun which was a hair one and though i might have had other suspicions how could i hint at them with no proofs to offer of what i only suspected wild sam was not at the inquiry he had been carried from allen's in the morning so helplessly drunk that we found it impossible to arouse him and my evidence was considered sufficient we buried poor rollo burke when the afternoon sun shone full on his newly made grave on the spot he had chosen on the green hillside he had a noble funeral though the hundreds who followed the velvet-covered coffin were clad in all the colours of the rainbow and the sunday dress of many nationed diggers very few men indeed stayed away in tent or place of business for the lad was a general favourite and those compelled to stop at home stood at their doors and watched the sad procession winding away up the hill with the quiet young tenant of the black coffin in the van we carried him shoulder high four at a time changing often as the ascent was difficult so sadly waited clavers was one of those who lowered the fair head into the grave and old daddy read the grand old burial service over him ere we laid his last blanket of green sods over the lad there were many dim eyes on the green hill that sunday and when we came away and left poor lost rollo alone in his premature grave even sinclair the policeman felt a choking sensation in his throat and a mist in his eyes that hid the lonely grave from them as he turned to have one more look at it before the sinking sunbeams left it to the chill and darkness of the night it was just on the edge of dusk that the claver's spring cart rattled towards the store the reason of dorothy's removal had spread from mouth to mouth over the diggings and hundreds of eyes watched with curiosity or interest or pity the poor girl's return home mrs claver's face was white and rigid she dreaded that dorothy might learn the truth from some unguarded customer as they drove through the street and made the tired horse go at his most capable pace but she reached home in safety and her father lifted dorothy from the vehicle with unusual kindness dorothy's first look was at the gutter flag still fluttering helplessly on rollo's claim and she cast an appealing look into her mother's eyes i may finish the flag to-night mother may i not that does look so ragged on sunday night dorothy i am sure you would not like to bring ill luck to the claim and the girl said no more but followed her mother into the yard and kitchen behind poor dorothy felt a strange depression of spirits that night and one which alarmed her she had unconsciously imbibed much of the weird superstition of her parents native country and 
as she sat on her little white bed preparing for rest she tried poor girl to find a cause for the unusual weight that seemed resting at her heart i don't know what ails me she thought rollo's bottomed on the gutter and mother bought me that lovely black silk to-day yet i feel as if some terrible calamity was over me i suppose i am tired and i wish i could have seen rollo to-night i think i was a little angry and cross because mother wouldn't let me finish the flag and that was wrong of me i'll say my prayers and go to bed she was kneeling beside her bed with her fair hair hanging over her shoulders and the innocent face buried in her hands when there came at the little window a low continued tapping dorothy started and looked up and she saw the finger of a man's hand creating the taps on the one pane of glass which alone formed the window dorothy's face flushed a rosy red as she got up hastily of course it was rollo poor fellow he was as much disappointed as she was the knocking ceased instantly and the hand disappeared as the girl opened the hinged frame a little way before however she had time to speak a horrid whisper that made her start back in affright crept in through the aperture and the words held her rigid as in the grasp of catalepsy dorothy don't be frightened it is only me wild sam don't shut the window i have something awful to tell you about burke something awful about rollo did did rollo send you she whispered with trembling lips as she leaned against the wooden wall and put her ear near the open pane rollo is dead he was buried on the green hill to-day i can see his grave from where i stand they're hiding it from you dorothy that's what you were taken to ballarat to-day for burke's gun went off accidentally last night when we were possuming and he died in my arms he sent you a message by me tell dorothy that my last word was her name and that i will love her in my grave death cannot kill such love as mine ask her to sit near me for one hour the first night i lie in my grave and it will comfort me to know she is there that is what he said dorothy and i know you will fulfil the poor loving lad's last wish i must go now for i might be seen and he stole away chuckling to himself an awful picture of drunkenness and sin with his red eyes and trembling hands and the fire of perdition in his evil heart she's sure to go he said i shall be revenged yet dorothy stood against the wall in a sort of waking trance for a moment after he was gone it seemed to her as if the world was some far-away place in which she had once been but which knew her now no more was she alive where was she her fair head was lying back against the wall and the breeze from the slightly open window passed across her white face the face slid down to meet the refreshing wind with wonder and then through the narrow open aperture dorothy saw on the moon-flooded green hill beyond the lead a lonely mound which had only been raised that day it was rollo's grave her darling dead rollo's grave not another moment she dreamed or doubted every word of wild sam seemed to flash before her in letters of fire rollo was dead and they had hidden it from her the girl shook herself from the support against which she leaned with a fierce hatred against the mother who bore and the father who begat her she had been a good and dutiful child and they had killed and buried her heart's love without letting her look once in his dead face was she a child that such a death-blow had fallen upon her without a moment's warning that a hated man should bring her rollo's last words that she should have heard from his own lips as his head lay upon her bosom tell dorothy that i will love her in my grave death cannot kill such a love as mine ask her to sit near me she'll comfort me the liar's words rang in her ears and heart with the force and truth of gospel words as she fully attired herself with trembling hands my rollo dead my rollo dead was the great outcry of the poor child's broken heart she was not afraid as she opened the door she had no thought of father then or of mother there was a grave on a moon-flooded hill where rollo awaited her and there was nothing in the empty world save her young lover lying in the cold ground awaiting her to comfort him my own work on that awful sunday had been fatiguing and it was late when i went to bed but before sunrise i was aroused by a sharp nervous knocking at the window of the barrack room in which i slept accustomed to this sort of disturbance i was on my feet and at the door before many minutes had passed to see old daddy lawson standing before it with such a white face and trembling knees that it was evident the poor old fellow had received some heavy shock 
why daddy what has happened you do look bad come in and sit down i'm scarcely able to stand for sure he said as he dropped into a seat while i pulled out my private bottle and made him drink a jorum from it happened indeed oh sinclair get on your clothes quick and come with me there is no time to lose and as i was dressing he told me the tale i was so anxious about my hole that was nearly bottomed on saturday that i was up on the hill at grey dawn of course i looked toward poor burke's grave as i slanted the rise and something i saw there made me pause in wonder trip too ran toward it barking loudly and i stole nearer for something told me that only one woman would be lying there on the lad's grave a woman yes and laid out at full length on the grass dead sinclair oh don't ask me to tell you more come and see for yourself we went up in the early morning with the cool air fanning our faces and rustling the branches of the trees on the green hill the fresh grass glittered with a fine dew that gleamed palely like hoar-frost and a something white fluttered slightly on rollo's grave as the breeze lifted it gently and with a lifelike movement at length we stood by the mound and before a scene which for awfulness and horror i have never during my police career which you know has been no short one seen equalled on the grave at as daddy had stated full length was stretched the body of dorothy clavers with her own gutter flag spread over her dead face her clothing was disordered and torn her fair head and face clotted and stained with blood marks her little hands were clenched and told of an agony that was but repeated in the awful terror and despair of the poor white pretty face and her unconscious parents were sleeping calmly in the belief that she dreamed happily in her own little bed under the shelter of their loving protection as we looked in silent horror at this awful thing a shout of wild laughter wakened all the echoes on the hill while daddy's little dog ran up toward a cluster of bushes a little higher up i looked in the same direction and perceived something like a crouching wild beast squatted under the shelter of the boughs of course i made my way up instantly with daddy close after me to recognize in the crouching animal wild sam he had no hat on his sleeves were torn his hair and beard tangled with grass and filth his awful face was as of a dead man his eyes red and wilder than those of a springing leopard his coarse knotted hands were blood-stained and held grips of grass he had torn from under the bushes near him and a half-dozen brandy bottles broken and whole lay beside him he did not seem to see or know us but laughed that awful laugh until a fit of trembling horror seized him and he shrieked for mercy the wretched being was evidently in the wild paroxysm of delirium tremens. "'Ha, ha, ha!' he shrieked. "'That's what I call ability, eh, Miss Dorothy? Stand off! Who says wild Sam can't get revenge? A touch of my toe on the trigger settled your darling Rollo, eh? And yourself, my pretty lady, didn't I tell you the gutter flag would make a nice face-cloth? I must get nearer and have another look at you.' He tried to get on his feet, but couldn't, and then, with hands repelling some miserable horror, he shrieked aloud in such evident terror that big drops of cold dew stood on his face as he alternately fought with hands and feet, or shrieked for mercy. "'Oh, go away! I promise! I promise! I won't touch Drew! I'll give up that! Oh, fire! Fire! My head! My head!' Until in utter exhaustion he fell back, and I handcuffed him why continue this sad tale the broken-hearted father and mother took their dishonoured dead away from the place and were never seen on the green hills more the murderer escaped to the grave through the drunkard's terrible gate of delirium and i myself was removed from the green hills police station not long after dave drew's claim turned out a rich one and old daddy gathered several lumps of the precious metal from his hatter's claim on the hill i am told that rollo's grave is there to be remarked at this day and that a broken fence still shelters a rose-bush, which I planted, a slip, with my own hands. On the Goulburn stretches a broad and rich station, called Tartu, and owned by Messrs. Drew and Lawson, a tall handsome gentleman with a serious grave face and a winning voice and smile enjoys an active life at Tartu, and often drives carefully, or supports the feeble steps of a now very old man, whom he affectionately calls Daddy. They sometimes pause at a nook in the garden, where an old dog called Trip was buried many years ago, 
and one of them at least often thinks at such times of a grave on the far-away green hills i wish you would marry dave lad the old man sometimes says i should like to see children of yours before i go and dave always replies i shall never marry dear old daddy so there is no mistress at fair tartu end of story